Uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of time flashing back because we've got kind of a busy night tonight, but I was so tickled with the, uh, the fibs that I heard people read that were written on the spur of the moment. And I had asked, them, I'd asked everybody if they got a chance to email them to me. And, um, and let's just hear them. Because, oh, Marion is not here, but we'll listen to Marion anyway. And um, I'm even going to inflict mine on you because I just used it as a stanza form rather than mm -hmm. uh, individually uh, using it individually. Roz uh, decided to put one against the other. This is the way. It's done. You, you cut it off a little bit. This is how it is. Oh, yeah. This is how it really is supposed to look. I added, I mean, word added an extra line. You have to because, extend, you have to because extend it wasn't the wide enough. Yeah, and here's the red hairs, too. So would you read it? Oh, yeah, and this is an Escher. <clears throat> you explain. Yeah, okay. Uh, M.C. Escher was an absolutely fantastic engraver. And I have his book, I'll pass it around. I get, have you all heard of him? You all know who he is. And what I didn't know was that so much of what he did was based on mathematics and, and geometry. So I somehow in my back of my mind when the assignment came, that's what struck me. So this is what I did. And here's what it looks like. And it, you know, it's mathematical. M.C. Escher engraver explored a new world by geometric inspections of transposition, tessellation, glide reflections, merged shapes, fish into birds, changed vanishing points in his convex, concave compositions. His subjects obeyed rules outside the three dimensions. Red ants traversed Mobius strips, made polyhedral commonplace up-down the same. See, it goes through the sequence once forward and once backward. And the nice thing about fibs is that you yourself can fib to the extent of deciding not to do it in any traditional way. And you did a wonderful way there that looks sort of like it's kind of Mobius looking. And um, I thought the, the content and the form really worked well together there. Uh, Marion's not here tonight. She did read it out loud before, so I'm going to save a little time. And she was very humble in submitting and saying, I just want to perfect my use of the form, but to me it was already fine the way it was. Um, but just real quick, um, I, I decided to use the, 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 the standard uh, fib up to eight. One, one, two, three, five, eight. Um, as a stanza form, and I somehow, I don't know, I don't usually do this, I got all political. TV well, makes me wish I could unsee images, but they are burned onto my eyes. Bride, bride, mumbling anchorman, which word names what was done with Kayla's living body? Huh? Young man, did you understand what he bought or stole and weep over her isolation? Young caged urban Jordanian. I saw you lift as lift, I saw your hand lift as if you could ward off the flames. And by the way, that is a fib because even uh, nobody but the TV people saw the saw the uh, actual footage of the Jordanian. Did you Bible. see it? No. So that's the fib. there is a real fib in the poem. How do we know it actually happened? Well, because the anchormen all said. We would unsee it if we could. It was, 
they all they didn't say it was burned onto their eyeballs, but they did say it was so horrifying. And one of the worst things was that very human thing where at one point he did like this. You could see him lift his hand. And they burned him alive. He was burned alive. So And they um, showed that on TV? No, 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 no. They, they we did not see it, but uh, the TV uh, the TV people did. So it really did happen. Oh, it really did happen, definitely. And Kayla was the uh, the young woman that was the young woman hostage that was murdered. It's serious. And there, this raises a question that I want to throw out just for consideration, and that's about contemporary allusions, because unlike Mr. T. S. Eliot, I'm not all that crazy about poems that require footnotes. But when you use a very contemporary allusion, what happens to it in 10 years? And everybody dreams their poem is going to last longer than 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Sure it is. It's going to last until the aeons. And someday nobody will know who Kayla is, but they also might not know who Kayla is today. I you know don't know. I decided I said, okay. Yeah, whatever. But that's only one way of looking at it. What do you think? I, I was thinking about a poem I wrote, you know, every now and then you, you remember them. And I wrote about um, the woman in, the, in Florida that they were fighting about whether to keep her on life support yeah. or not. And um, apparently she got in that state by doing some kind of crazy diet. And so I wrote this, this poem about it, you know, that it, it's just, I, I don't know that it's relevant now without footnotes, but I used to do that a lot. I used to, because if you're part of community and you're, you're reading stuff, it's like if one part, you know, you could be reading to just those people in that room, mm -hmm. and it's written, but it's it's not something necessarily you'll go back to. There are poems that, that you were really happy to have written and read and be received at that time, and I don't know if it's relevant later. It doesn't really matter. Maybe you can embed clues in your poem. Yeah. Well, it also seems. Make it. Yes, thank you. Um, it's, it also seems to me a, an issue of any poem you write that there are so many fragmented cultures now that we don't have a notion of a shared culture to whom we're writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That we are always only writing to some particular part of our culture and that the whole question of who the poems are intelligible to is a much wider one now than it for us to consider than people would have considered it earlier. Yeah, I think that's very true that the communities have so many different cultures and yet we're sort of writing in a way that everyone in any of those cultures could read it. So who are we writing to? It's a very relevant question. Poet Linda Paston, whom some of you may be a little familiar with, wrote a poem some years ago where she insisted. It was in answer to an interviewer's question about who is your audience, and she said that she likes to think her audience is some, pardon me for saying it, jock in a gym who has a poem of hers pasted on the inside of his locker. <laughs> and she likes to, you know, she likes to think that, she, that she's very universal. She is very accessible. But um, but I think that's that's a dream all of us would have. I'd love that too. I don't think it happens to too many of us. Isn't she Potomac, Maryland? Yes, she is from Maryland. But she's very internationally well known. Sam so, Sexton was I, I tried to build her little clue in the poem because at least we know that Kayla may be the may be the person in the ISIL shroud. 
and, and she is. They actually treated her dead body with some degree of, mm. of respect because apparently she was given as a either a bride or a bride to one of the male oh, is that terrorists. Yeah, so I kept listening and said, you know, speak up, damn it, you anchor no, I, I can't hear what you're saying. You just told me something. But yeah. yeah. But the two words were what they were one of the two is what they were saying. Yeah, disgusting. So anyway, uh, fibs, they're fun. If you uh, if you didn't have a good time trying it last time or you didn't try it last time, you try it this time because chrysanthemums try it, sunflower seed petals do it. They the way their petals are interlocked does reflect the sequence. Which just means it's a fun discipline to try. And as several of you noticed, I know you were very eloquent on the point that because the lines get longer and longer, it sort of builds up. And I shared your uh, your comments on Lou Turco's books, uh, yeah. Book of Forms. He was so excited, and you know, I said that the audience, the audience, the group is. You know, very diverse, and everybody was really interested in your book, Lou, and I made an 80-year-old very happy. Aww. And I told, I quoted you and several other people who said, yeah, it's not just like taking 20 syllables and chopping them up. Au contraire, it's, it, it gathers its own momentum. So it's actually <coughs> worth trying. It's, if it's good enough for tree leaves and the chambered nautilus, you, you, you mentioned it's this good enough for me. Oh, I did. Yeah. Oh, did you tell? Did you tell them that, that I had a conniption when I saw the book because I lost it when I moved to Boston? No, I didn't tell him that. Part. <laughs> I just said and, that. And, and I actually ordered it from Barnes and Nobles, and they never got it to me. So I'm like, oh, I'll tell him that here. part. He'll probably send you one. He's <laughs> such a sweet old curmudgeon. Yes, ma'am. I had a question. No, Catherine. Yes. I know it was a very classic. Print out the last week. On the last page, there was a diagram. MF, MF, MF. And no explanation. I wasn't quite sure what that was. I was so afraid that someone would ask me that, Catherine, because although that was the only illustration that seemed to really illustrate the sequence as found in nature, I mean, it is supposed to be a tree, but what kind of a tree? Because it seems like to me it would be a metaphoric tree. I don't know. Believe me, I don't know. And then there was that little thing buried in there somewhere, but it's just really only a myth that the sequence is represented by a human hand. You got one hand, and you go up to five fingers, and each finger is made of three joints, and I forget where the two comes in. So I was just praying that, oh, two hands. Very good. I just, here's, the, here's one with ashes. Oh, this is so nice. Like they do, don't they? Mm. The, the, the one I was asking about has female, male, female, male. Right. No. Oh. Genetic tree. It's, it's, it's the, I think it is a genetic tree. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's the only one that I thought actually made some degree of visible sense. Right. It's the genetic tree. It's not a. Oh, sorry. A tree outside. Right. It's very confusing because there are also pictures of leaf sequences yeah. from real trees. So, um, at any rate, it's uh, apparently very true, though, that anything that has a multiplicity of uh, cells in nature is very likely to represent the, the sequence. 
Anyway, it's fun for us because now we represent the sequence too because we're writing theirs. And uh, so what I was thinking, uh, because last week we were working so rigidly with a, with a small form, I wanted this time to do something that was a little bit different. Oh, oh wait a minute, Tim, you didn't get to read Drifted because it's on the, the little piece of paper. Oh, you want to read Because I printed it out in paper, yes. I'm not used to things with their types. Uh, well, I've numbered them. Number one, those crows do not often kill what they have been known mm. to gather in mobs of murder. Number two, these clouds, I think that should be those clouds also. Those clouds look like a painter, Michelangelo, made them from pictures of old gods. Number three, a mud puddle in springtime, laughter and nonsense, a beloved poem by Cummings. <laughs> Does anybody, uh, or maybe everybody, knows what poem by Cummings is alluded to in Tim's poem? No, Can you give us a few lines? Hum a little. <laughs> I've got the book in my backpack, but it be hard to... Is it about the, the little, the little balloon uh, man? Yeah. And he ends up being the cloven foot yeah. balloon man hmm. who whistles far and we. It's a very nice poem. If you're not familiar with it, it's, I think, one of the world's oh, beautiful. favorite springtime poems in English. That's okay, because we probably should, should move on anyway. Yeah. Um, so because last time was so specifically and somewhat rigidly about form, I thought this time it would be fun to just look at some poems that are on two, two themes. Just one theme, what I learned from some really peculiar source, and the other food experiences that become more than food. There are two themes that I have found in the past have worked well for lots of varied people. Um, but this first one, what I learned from the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> who, who is, um, who is, where's this poet come from? She is, I believe. Weird name. American Indian? A, no, I don't think so. And I should be able to answer that question. That's okay. And I can't. She's published by Tupelo Press, but that doesn't indicate anything about that. I even uh, hope you'll forgive me if I don't really try to, to read her name. Okay more than haltingly. But I saw this poem on a wonderful email thing that comes every day of one's life if you subscribe to it, and it's simply poem of the day. And it's, uh, it's terrific, it really is. And this one was a few months ago, and I fell in love with it. So um, have you got a reader for what I learned from the Incredible Hulk? Um, Let me just go around. Okay, Jim, you're on. All right. Uh, Poem of the day. What I learned from the Incredible Hulk by Amy Zebukumakato. I think she might originally be Mayan. It sounds Indian. And you did well with her name. When it comes to clothes, make an allowance for the unexpected. 
Be sure to spare the trunk of your station wagon with wood paneling isn't in need of repair. A simple jean jacket says, hey, if you aren't trying to smuggle rare Incan coins through this peaceful little town and kidnap the little, the local orphan, I can be one heck of a mellow guy. But no matter how angry a man gets, a smile and a soft stroke on his bicep can work wonders. I learn that male chests also have nipples. There's a book called it. Warm and established. Green doesn't always mean envy. It's the meadows full of clover and chicory that the halt seeks for rest, a return to normal. And sometimes a woman gets to go with him, her tiny hands correcting his rumpled hair, the cuts in his hand. Green is the space between water and sun, cover for a quiet man, each rib shuttling, shuttling drops of liquid blood. <coughs> hmm, You're out of here and some crap response. <laughs> I think it's just amazing. It, uh, I think he's a popular enough figure, referring to what you were saying earlier in our uh, contemporary culture, that uh, most people will have an inkling of who he is. And from there, the whole poem uh, just takes off to riff on the first line. Um, I like the way it set it up. When it comes to clothes, make the allowance for the unexpected. And then you have to read between the lines to get more of the meaning, unexpected meaning from what's going on there. I think of a line that a lot of us related to audibly was, I learned that male chests also have nipples, warm and established. And, uh, and then I got to thinking, yeah, the Incredible Hulk. Yep, he's an anatomically correct, if somewhat exaggerated, <laughs> Hulk of a guy. But, yeah. Um, mm. I, I, I like the wagon with the handling, because not only is it nostalgic, but also I just, I've been noticing and really liking when narrators go off and describe this thing that's completely inconsequential to the main thing, but it's like adding a detail. It makes, it kind of gets a hyper focus on, you know, the realism or whatever and makes everything else more real. Yeah, it's a great detail also though. It, 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 would you say it's a time marker? Yeah. Because um, yeah, the the, the it, this must be a pretty old station wagon, or else or one Woody. That's so new. Or yeah, Woody. And, and interestingly or Woody. enough, yeah. I don't know whether there's a pun intended or not. No, there yeah, was yeah, no pun intended, and I know sure. what you're thinking. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's relevant. You get the idea that yeah. the broken jack is a temper tantrum and transforms him from a peaceful, mellow kind of guy into a 
and then he has to be calmed down. Yeah. And yeah. the jean jacket is what you always use to spread on the ground to fix a tire if you have to crawl underneath them. I've been there. And you're one heck of a mellow kind of guy, too, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> uh, famously. Uh, but another another set of lines that got Boston. some audible response was suddenly the green is yeah. not just the color, the supposedly intimidating color of the Incredible Hulk. It's also full of clover and chicory. How about and chicory, too? I mean, fields of clover, been there, done that. But chicory, which is... Oh, Salad. Weed, but also a wonderful additive to everything from movies and coffee to salad. I mean, it's very, very specific. And I think aromatic. you've got a great point there, Ron. It's also known for being very aromatic. Yep. That's why in the, during the Civil War it was added to coffee, which was barely coffee at all to give it some flavor. Mm. But it kind of became the flavoring of Louisiana coffee. Mm. Have you seen Louisiana? It's it's spelled Louisiana yeah, in the good supermarket, stuff. and it's, yeah. it's good stuff, and it's got chicory in it. It's expensive um, now, too, um, it, it, which is odd, you know, because when things that were originally fillers yeah. are now expensive, right. things like pork belly, you know, yeah, like anything in pork belly. But the allowance for the unexpected also really yeah. stood out to me because you're thinking, okay, he grows and his clothes always get torn up. So you're wondering if he's making an allowance and getting these big jean jackets so he's not busting out of them every time right. he gets mad. Right, he swells, doesn't he? The yeah. Swell, yeah. And I, another thing I like about this poem is that the more you know about the comic strip character, yeah. the better the poem gets. Yes. It's not just sort of, mm -hmm. oh, I need a green man with some degree of anatomical similarity <laughs> to a human for this poem. But but the more you the more you see the comics, the the, uh, the better you like it. I know that my grandchildren like this poem a lot. I'd rather by them they're a little closer to the comic strip than I am. Um, well, pretty clearly, this lesson from the uh, Incredible Hulk is highly metaphoric. And just for another one that also is highly metaphoric. In other words, I don't think we're asked to think that she's the author is seriously seeking a, a relationship with the actual Incredible Hulk. If you look at um, a couple of the poems that are in a couple of the food poems. Actually, it's just one of the two poems. It's Margaret Atwood's Maybe oh, I love Margaret. She's such a great one. And some of you probably know her better as a prose writer. Yeah. Um, her stuff as poetry was very good. We studied it with Yeah, I, I, I like her almost best as, as a poet. Yeah. And uh, this, poet, this poem always gets very varied reactions. I think you will know, although she does not name him, uh, what comic strip character is here. Oh, I think you'll recognize it pretty clearly. Have we got a reader for They Eat Out? Um, oh, who did that? Okay. Give it a try. <clears throat> they eat out. In restaurants, we argue over which of us will pay for your funeral. Though the real question is whether or not I will make you immortal. At the moment, only I can do it. And so I raise the magic fork over the plate of beef fried rice 
and plunge it into your heart. There's a faint pop, a sizzle, and through your own split head, you rise up glowing. The ceiling opens, a voice sings, love is a many splendid thing. You hang suspended above the city in blue tights and a red cape, your eyes flashing in unison. The other diners regard you, some with all, some only with boredom. They cannot decide if you are a new weapon or only a new advertisement. <laughs> As for me, I continue eating. I liked you better the way you were, but you were always ambitious. What do you think, folks? You do recognize the comic strip character. Is that, that Superman? Sure, it's got to be Superman with those the tights and the cape, right? And changing from a little... Right, and he also goes from being normal to, Superman. to being Superman, but as such... Who's the love is a many splendid thing? Don't make me sing it. <laughs> that was from a movie about a, a, a guy who married an a, 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 what you call it, a Japanese woman, Eurasian woman, or something. Yeah, it was. I think Jennifer it Jones. was from Susie Wong. Or, or no, was, was it from Tea House of the Old? No, it was. It was no, something it was with, with about. Susie Wong. Was it Susie Wong? Mm -hmm. yeah. But anyway, it's a Frank Sinatra mm -hmm. type standard, a Lounge Lizard standard. Does anybody want to sing a few yeah. bars? <laughs> Well, Just sing it. Okay. And the morning mist and the words stood still. And your fingers touched my diary and caught me. My, my point is, to, to go back to cultural, uh, cultural, uh, uh, what we recognize, cultural recognition, I, I thought for a minute, well, maybe it's not Superman, because I don't know that song is a theme song or, or plunging a fork into Superman's heart, but it is Superman. It is Superman. Okay. Well, when you swell all up, if you're this kind of Superman, what happens? Do you become invincible? Or more? No, no, through me. Split head. Okay. I don't like the TV show, the old TV show anyway, so I don't know. Why, why is she able to talk them with a fork? <laughs> That's Margaret Atwood. That's oh, am I going to have me. get out a balloon and demo? <laughs> oh. Well, I'm sorry, well, I was just thinking that Superman lies, mm -hmm. and if she could stick him with the fork, I mean, you know what I mean? He's yeah. already up in the air, and I don't know. But isn't he full of hot air? Isn't he so, doesn't he become this Superman balloon that rises up and up and up in that seat at the restaurant? That is weird. Uh, there's a faint pop, a sizzle, and through your own split head, you rise up glowing. It's like a phoenix. Do we do we think that this speaker was having a really good time at dinner with this person? <laughs> and what do you think if there if this is a metaphor for for an actual person who turns into a giant Superman balloon right there at the dinner table? I mean, what kind of person is he? 
I think she was drinking too much. Hmm. Hopping his ego. Yeah. She can make him immortal. She's the writer. Yeah, she's the writer. <laughs> okay. She can make him immortal. <laughs> And whether um, she does or not, it's her choice. But I think one of the comic things to me in the poem is that she's done so right here. She's made him Superman in this poem. But what's another useful thing to make somebody immortal? Before you become immortal, you pretty much have to be dead. dead. <laughs> so in one swell foot, as my mother used to say, in one swell, one swell fell swoop, she has made him immortal by putting him in a poem, you know, immortality in art. She has also killed him, metaphorically, which really improves your chances of immortality. And at the same time, she has deflated him? Oh, he hasn't sunk down altogether. The other diners are looking at him saying, what's that? Right? Some of them are just bored, and others think he's a new kind of weapon or a new kind of ad. But yeah, already from being Superman, he's kind of deflated if he's just an ad. But I don't know. If I had to, I don't have to, so I'm going to really pass the buck and get you to see if you could name in one sentence what the poet seems to be getting at here. What did you say? I think actually you already said it. Or maybe it was Catherine. I heard a voice from over here. Probably you. You said dead. I said dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the one with the resounding <laughs> dead. That was great. My sense of it is she's, she's made the mistake of having dinner with a real creep. And <laughs> love is a many splendored thing, I think, refers back to his glowing, yeah. but, um, you know, she's bored with him, so. So what's the most boring thing about him, though? I think it's, I think it's in the poem. No. What makes him so boring? Rosalie, you look like you have an important poem. Well, I wasn't thinking of her being someone. I was thinking of her being by herself and thinking. Mm. That's the way I was looking at it. So you're saying that this, this dinner partner that she finally gets rid of is a figment of her own imagination. Mm -hmm. Huh, that's interesting. Well, that puts the ego on the other foot. So but, but, but she says the other diners regard you as, with some awe, some with boredom. They cannot decide if you are a new weapon or a new advertisement, yeah. so he's not a figment. Yeah, it does sound like something is there in that other chair. Yeah. Why would you want to have dinner with somebody who wants you to pay for their funeral? I mean, that's what the argument is about. Right. Oh, maybe so he can become immortal. Right. It's, it's weird. It's a, yeah, I admit, it's a weird, it's weird. But And to me, that line about which of us will pay for your funeral is perhaps the, um, the line that makes it most difficult. But... Isn't it all, wouldn't that mean which one of us will outlast the other? Yes, and also it's like, uh, I've known this person. Me too. Um, and doesn't want to get life insurance because that would mean you would actually die at some point. So whoever's left is going to pay for the funeral. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's, 
I was thinking more in terms of family. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. I think this this is a couple that's been together for a long time, <laughs> a long time, and it hasn't all been as happy as the <laughs> Superman character seems to imagine. I just think there's this weird echo because she raises the magic fork over a plate of beef fried rice and plunge it into your heart. And the beef and heart somehow come yeah. together for me. Yeah. He doesn't even have a real heart, which yeah. is why he's got a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole ego thing yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, he's got a soundtrack and it's a very beautiful yet sappy song. Right. And um, <laughs> over-standardized perhaps and use that. And so that's his soundtrack. Um, he wants oh. to be immortal. You always were ambitious. It's like I liked you better the way you were, mm -hmm. maybe back when he was human. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's so ambitious. But so, but he can be immortal. Content to be with a mere. I'm listening mere to women's voices human. explain this, and I'm still sitting here pausing. It's a chick flick. <laughs> you think? No doubt. Really? Like it's, it was like the first time I read the. I don't get it at all. By Margaret Atwood. I can live with it a little bit longer and beware. That well, is a magic fork, boys. Yeah, so, that scares me. That magic There are other guys in the room. Jim, what do you think? Well, I don't get uh, much of the other one, Tim Monopoly, who do well. Anyway, so so. I can't have any reference point. Okay, okay. But um, no, to me, it's an enigma. Maybe you do have to. Maybe you do have to have known this guy. I, I almost think that might be the answer. The answer to that. Okay, so that one, uh, I think, only fits into this category of what I learned from some really peculiar source by also referencing uh, an experience that reminds you very much of, of a comic book character or of a, how a comic book character can. Uh, that cross-reference itself on uh, a real person and create a poem. Um, just out of curiosity, and we'll, we'll do more about this in a minute, if you were asked to write a poem about something you learned from a really strange source, have any ideas popped into your head? A really strange I think it has to be comic book characters, for sure. A really odd source. We, I did one last time about that uh, that comic book uh, Spawn. Oh right! Remember we right. we looked at those things out in the case. Right. And that was weird. Yep. Well, you'll find that what, next week when we're doing ekphrastic poems, which are based on works of art that are not uh, literary works of art, um, I think you'll find that some very strange sources may actually. Uh, come to you then. Um, did anybody ever learn anything from their most disreputable relative? <laughs> I am most. Yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the black sheep in your family? <laughs> I learned what it's like to be hated. Huh? I learned what it's like to be hated. From an unlikely source? From my brother, yeah. Um, I mean, I was shocked at what he wrote to me, just shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. Yeah. Anybody else learn anything important from some source that you wouldn't think you would learn from or turn to for teaching?
think about it for a little bit while we actually mm. march on to thinking about the other theme, which I think probably will resonate with maybe the poems are clear. Um, and this is the idea of writing about food, but a food experience that's, that somehow becomes something larger than itself. And it's some of these poems that are examples are very straightforward, and I'd like to start with one of those. It's also the first one in that group called Brisket, and it's uh, by Jean Morehouse. Is that the one we just read sort of that? Yes, definitely. That's why that's why I suggested looking at it while we were talking about learning stuff in an unlikely source. Very definitely so because her unlikely source is uh, that guy who thinks he's Superman. <laughs> um, brisket. Um, a little pre a pre footnote. Mm -hmm. um, Fresh brisket is one of the dishes most that most often arrives at when uh, a Jewish family is sitting shiva. Oh, really? Which means that, well, in Jewish tradition, you don't send flowers, you don't do that sort of uh, memorial. You but the you visit the family and you bring food. Oh. And so it's very important that you have that. Oh, I didn't know, understand. Fact, because otherwise, I mean, that's a footnote. You may need. And I'm sort of sorry now that I said it because I think it is embedded in the poem. Could we get a reader? Okay, Rockham, you are on. Okay, Brisket by Jane Nordhouse. Mummied in dish towels, ferried in crocs from cousins, from neighbors, it came still warm from the oven. Puddled in succulent gravies, swaddled in onions, sinewy and kosher, dense as Greek. Not brisket again, we groaned, joking, for we still could have taken we still could. But we still could taking into bodies that still grew hungry, the general the generous funeral meat. A full moon hung in the paunch sky, like a pot scrubbed mm. clean to be filled and empty or empty and fill again, and every night in the blazing kitchen, we sat down together. Mm. Responses? Mm. I'm hearing um a lot. I liked it, yeah. Taking into bodies that still grew hungry. The generous funeral meat. That's a yeah. That's ironic. Yeah. Notice also there's a lot of references to death. Mm -hmm. um, mummy. Fairy. Fairy. Explain why fairy is a reference to death. Across the river to death. Yeah. Right. Oh, river sticks. Yeah. yeah. Or even the river Jordan. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's a common here across the Jordan River. Right. Yeah. It's a, a very cross-cultural. Uh, reference to passing from one state to another. Um, but then you have the other end of life too, swallow. Swallow the minutes. Swallow the baby, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the, the, the one group noise I heard, that I think it was somebody right here, like you Tim, a full moon hung in the haunch of sky, but a hot spot. What did you like about that? The haunch? 
I'm working on the full moon with the haunch, with the, uh, there's just such strength in the haunches, which are the thighs and the loins. And, and you're getting to brisket, aren't you? I mean, yeah, well, brisket you know, is sure. the The funeral meats and the brisket. Yeah, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't like haunch because the whole metaphor is like a pot scrub clean and empty and it gets filled again again so the moon wanes yeah. and then it waxes again and wanes and waxes. So either the sky is a haunch or a pot. You can't have both. The moon's the haunch. The sky's not the haunch. I didn't like that. The moon's the pot. Yeah, the moon's the pot. The no, no, no. The, the moon is not the moon. The moon's not the oh, The, the moon, moon is the haunch of the sky. The moon hung okay, well, out the sky, the like a pot. No, and the whole, the whole image is the moon is the scrubber, isn't it? No. And the pot is filled again and, and emptied and well, filled again. Well, what's filled is the sky is the pot and the moon is the haunch. And it, you need it. It's Read it again. The moon is the haunch. The moon is the haunch. It doesn't make sense Jump from moon to light. To be filled and emptied and filled again every night. And like the moon, and it like moon, life, the, well, yeah. life and death. I like I like the notion of the the moon is the pot because it's not just for this one city. It's for every no. no. The moon is a full moon, like a pot scrub. <coughs> the moon hangs in the haunch of sky. Okay. Well. I'm thinking of the of the meat is haunch. Yes. Yes. I mean that's this is just this is another way of looking of looking at it that the sky is the pot and the, the moon is the scrubber. But at any rate, um, I think you'll all admit it's a food experience that goes beyond itself. While not not being a food experience too. I mean, there's enough there of of actual meat and actual people. I like I like the fact that the meat is generous because the people are bringing it and they're joking. Not again. They're bringing this meat again. Right. It was a joke, but yeah. but the fact that it's you know it's generous. Yeah. You know what I mean? But sure. it, yeah, I like that. And they can still they can still laugh and they can still be hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the brisket obviously was the main course, mm -hmm. and it, to me that ended for metaphorically means that we ate it again and again and again to serve. Maybe it was hard times, whatever. But it was enough to go around. It was plenty. Right. And of course, it's brisket that fills the pot again and again too. Yeah. And. Uh, I, I agree that there's there are many ways of taking those last lines, but the idea of real funeral meat also alludes to the humanness of the people. They're able to laugh, they're able to be hungry. Uh, there's a very wonderful poem by Gregory Orr, who, uh, when he was a child, hunting with his brother and father, accidentally shot and killed his brother. Oh and the poem that in that series that's the most wonderful um, and I thought about it too late to put in this series, was talking about being a child, sitting at the table, eating food that the neighbors were brought because, because he didn't want to be, he didn't really want to be alive, but he was, he was a little boy and he was hungry. And it's so moving 
and so and so human. And that's me. Oh, this uh, Jean Nordhaus's poem also has has some of that humanness. And at the same time, it's real meat and real people. It's not pure metaphor. For one that uh, is pure metaphor, but it still has food as its uh, central metaphor, take a look at Emily Dickinson. I love her. Later. Famous pickle food. Mm -hmm. Famous pickle food. And uh, the title is just the first line. She, she did the title of the poems. Have you got a reader? I'll read it. Okay. I love Emily Dickinson. Fame is a fickle food upon a shifting plate whose table once a guest but not the second time is set. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Who, whose, whose crumbs the crows inspect and with ironic caw flap past it to the farmer's corn men eat of it and die. That doesn't make any sense. The the syntax is very strange in that in that uh, first in that first stanza, and that is also it looks to me as if although I, I copied it from uh, the Poetry Foundation's version, um, guest but not should probably be on the previous line. Whose table wants a guest, but not the second time is set. See, the, the crows are the crows are sad. They're, they're, they're staring at the crumbs of fame, and they're not fooled. They go to the corn and eat. But men eat of the fickle um, food of fame, and they die of it. And it, it's almost as if it's like your 15 minutes of fame. You yeah, know, right, that's what and, I do. You know, that's it. You know, yeah. get a second sitting. Right, and you're, you're and you can't, can't sustain you. Yeah, and yeah. you don't get invited back either. Right. Yeah, you blow it. Right. A shifting back. plate. I whose table wants a guest, but not the second time. Set. Whose crumbs the crows inspect, and with ironic call, flap past it to the farmer's corn. So in other words, they respect the, the good old corn better than fame. Oh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. a waste. Fame, the crows, it's crumbs, yes, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. It's, leaving, it's the crows won't eat it, which is funny because we all know the expression eating crow. But yeah. crows well, that's are much smarter than we are here, aren't they? Or mm -hmm. anybody who sits after fame. And also, crows eat carrion, but they're eating real food here, whereas the men are eating this pickle food yeah. and dying. Yeah, and the plate shifts, which gets the crumbs all over every place, and the next day. And it goes goes to the next person that yeah. it settles on or whatever. And you don't get another helping, and it's just—it's what I love about Emily Dickinson is that she's so strange, yeah. and uh, of course her syntax is strange too, and yet so true. Oh boy, she, she hits, she hits stuff. It's she just, hits it's the amazing. nail on the head. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Now, of course, this is a food poem only, I guess, in name because obviously it is about entirely metaphoric food. And while we're at it in the food section, let's um, look at a very famous food poem that uh, somehow seems as if in one, one poem, William Carlos Williams invented the post-it note on the refrigerator, although he logically <laughs> preceded the post-it note. Have we got a reader for This Is Just To Say? Can, 
are you willing to read this is just to say? No, I'll read it. Oh, okay. I'll come back to you later then, Rose. Go oh, ahead. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Catherine. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, they were delicious, so sweet and so cold. Mm -hmm. mm. That's what yeah. you call a slice of life. Yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting. You know, if humans are metaphor-making animals, and as soon as you say slice of life, you're back in yeah, yeah, food realm. But um, yeah. So what do you say, when I would show this poem sometimes to oh, like an entire class full of American Lit students who were, who, who also were the entire lacrosse team, and they would be mm. split into two camps as if they were St. Paul and Loyola. I mean, they would, half of them were saying, oh wow, that is too cool. And the other half was saying, how can you call that a poem? And they were furious that it was even in a, an anthology really? of poems. Yes. So what do you think? Well, it's a form of a prolapse. It is true that, that I, I used to tell my lacrosse players, oh, it's like a touch on here. Correct. No, Who did the red wheelbarrow? Is that, that's that very similar. Yeah. Curious. That's exactly um, the same kind of thing, too. Can you taste this poem? Yes. Yes. Mm. Stolen yeah, fruit is a sweetness. And I would have done the same thing. You feel your teeth hurt. We even had debates about what kind of plums. I voted for the, the wonderful dark purple canned ones that were always in my mother's refrigerator and I always ate them. Mm. I would say dark purple. But you think they're fresh plums? That's fine. All we know is that everybody does, I can get a taste out of this poem. Do you think this poem also says something about human nature, about marriage, about anything other than just the sheer pleasure of those delicious, cold, sweet, forbidden plums. Well, the fact that he'd write a note and say, yeah. I ate them. Yeah. You know, otherwise you just eat them and say, oh, well, I guess they just disappeared somewhere. And do you think he's really apologizing? <laughs> well, he is sort of, but he's also yeah. saying, yeah. well, I did it, and I so what. Yeah, right. Well, he's also saying so it nicely to make her yeah. feel good about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. sweet thing. He writes this nice little poem, you know, apologizing. He's going to be a little shiny, a little bright. Yeah. It may have saved him from the, the frying pan on the top of the head. <laughs> and, um, because it's, it's getting late and we won't have too much time to actually play with these with our own pencil and paper, I do urge you at some point to read that poem called Love by George Herbert. He was a 17th century metaphysical poet. And all I can say is the last line, which Wait seems so ordinary. The guy's talking but to love, love baby, welcome, my soul to thought. I can't, I'm sorry, I got it. Guilty of dust and sin, but quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew, me, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I loved anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be here. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, smiling, and did reply, 
Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I admire them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, said love, and taste me. So I did sit down. Anybody who can write a, a line as mundane as, so I did sit and eat. I mean, it's a highly religious poem. I think you're told in the poem that love is also the same as God. Or, um, because he calls him Lord. Yeah, but, but you know one thing about this? But maybe it's Lord Love. Yeah. Compared with all the other poems. This is the only one that I can find that has a rhyme scheme. Yeah, it does. It's the only one. Why don't people use rhyme schemes anymore? They do. Not much. Okay. Well, you, yeah, but you're dead. Yeah, anybody, if you, um, anybody who writes sonnets or any. Oh, yes. Well, yes, your hot sonnets. But right. also, I mean, I think it can be true that, that rhyme, when it's not done well, can really make something trivial but serious. But I um, <coughs> you'll notice also that it often needs long lines and short lines. Mm -hmm. So I did say that he is paired with a, a, a quite long line. And so that the sound is very different depending on each line is the same. Like, it's perfect. It's a pretty interesting poem. And yeah. Strawberry yeah. by Mae Swenson is that's, that's really a, about strawberries. It's an iambic contemporary. It would be. Love, baby, welcome. Just the long lines are iambic contemporary. But I do suggest when you get a chance, read Strawberry because uh, it's yummy. And um, June was for Gorgian. And it's also probably another poem about May Swenson. And, um, Murder Red, oh my God. 30 year long, long love relationship. But mostly I think it's just about strawberry, picking strawberries. But, if they bleed, let them stay, let them rot in the heat. It's, it's a pretty carnal poem as well. So what I'm going to suggest that we do for about the next um, 10 minutes, we're not going to write a poem tonight. We were able to write complete things, and there's plenty of them the other night. But what I would like is to have you just take an in hand, so to speak, and jot down some ideas, either drawn from life or just from your imagination, about um, it seemed like the second thing is more accessible about um, a food experience that goes beyond being just a food experience. Mm. It can actually be both. Food I learned about from an unlikely source. Sir? I am going to duck out on you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, say it again? I'm going to duck out on you, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. You, I know you're not feeling well. Hope you feel better. No. Food I learned about from unlikely source. No, just say it. I thought it was going to be on the Oh, either one. I thought I'd bring in two things that don't necessarily overlap. You can try either one. Or you can jot down some ideas for both. Tonight we're not going to make any effort unless it just unless your genius is that so far surpass anything I could do, which might well be. Um, I don't I don't think there'll be time to actually write a finished poem tonight. So what I'm suggesting is jot down some notes toward a poem. Okay, ideas toward a poem. And who knows, you may come up with some actual lines that you want to keep. But this is one where, where I think we're, it's about... Can it be about food, too? Oh, I mean, sure. like it a recipe or, or, or it something? You have the recipe right in the poem, if you want. Mm -hmm. It can be any kind of food experience that 
It doesn't have to be yours personally. No. Oh, okay. Rosalie. I was just trying to understand what you're saying. Who experienced that was beyond Yeah, yeah. like it probably probably any of us could write down the words of coconut cake. Mm-hmm. But when did that coconut cake have a meaning that was maybe more? And maybe it could just be the source of it. Mm-hmm. And the other one was... And the other one, something you learned from a source that was unexpected, unlikely. Mm-hmm. And you can see how they could overlap, but they don't have to. Mm-hmm. So either one you want to play with or just both. Just jot some ideas down and then we'll, we'll take a few minutes and we'll share some of the ideas that people have been able to come up with. Okay? Does that make any sense at all? Okay.
Now, once again, if you're on a roll, just ignore us as if we weren't even here. But did any, anybody come up with a few ideas you at this point you wanted to share? Yeah, I do. Okay. Good. Okay. Rosalie? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you actually did. You're willing to share yes, something. Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> but I, I could be wrong. And There's no wrong. I was saying. Oh. <laughs> I, I just I wrote some things out, and I didn't write any. Ideas. Oh, right. These are not going to at this point. Just ideas. Oh, for just program. ideas. Just ideas. I wrote mine. Okay. Well, anyway, tell me if I'm off track. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Um, uh, popcorn. Uh, the dish is full. They say it's really good. Okay, that picture, it's ending. Wow, he's just bent, he's bent over. You think a slap would do? I didn't finish, but. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's, that's going to go someplace. That really yeah, is, because all good. of a sudden it's not just about popcorn. It's in a movie theater. Yeah, it's in a movie theater. Good, good start. And again, let me just remind people, if anybody feels like finishing anything before, you know, uh, well, at any point, uh, if you feel like emailing it, there's my email address up there. Oh, okay. C. Harris, two S's, at Towson.edu. And anyway, um, let's see. Other, other people that came up with some ideas? And we'll come back to you. There's a graph. Right. needs a lot of work, but... When my grandmother died, we drove four hours to her house, my father at the wheel as usual. My mother's face furrowed with unfamiliar tears. At Bama's house, the kitchen counters were piled with breads and cakes and pies. At Bama's house, the kitchen counters were piled with breads and cakes and pies, as well as a large turkey fit for Christmas. A rarely roasted beef sat next to a bottle of whiskey pulled from a carton brought by Uncle Herb, youngest son of the dead matriarch. My mother's cousin dashed through the back door, stopped cold. He raised his hand, waving the sign of the cross over the funeral meats, and another, and another, crying, dispensation, 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 on this Friday in the Catholic kitchen. Oh, wow. That's great. How'd you do that so fast, Mickey? <laughs> you have superpowers. Yeah. This is very frightening. <laughs> wow. Had that been sort of cooking for a while? No, but the brisket thing. Yeah. About yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Sensation. Which is, you know, yeah, where there was all this meat. This was Friday in the 50s, you know. Wow. Right. <laughs> all right. Woo. And the wake was at night. So. And, and Raj, you said you had something. Well, I've, I've got a zillion things. I have a I have a cookbook called The Last Meal on the Titanic. Oh, yeah. And I thought maybe that, but also I did a poem some years ago called Onion Music mm-hmm. about chopping an onion. And I'd like to bring that. I'd like to say yeah, that. Please, you know. please do. And onion Music. I wish I could. The other one is I love to sprout things, and I love to sprout mung beans. Mm-hmm. And they're fascinating to watch them sprout. And they go through all sorts of metamorphoses, and then you eat them. Right, they go to all that trouble and you just eat them. Of course, you yeah. put them in stir fry. They're, they're great. Yeah. Bean sprouts. Right. Okay, you've got a wealth of ideas going there because I hadn't thought about yeah. these stuff. See, that's what's so great. 
you open doors for us. Well, I mean, the doors are open by the, the, the poets that we've been working with. Yeah, but you're but the one with the key. <laughs> Thank you, but um, that, that key is not hard to come by. It's just, you just do it, that's all. But anybody else have some ideas you're willing to share with us? And by the way, do we have your permission to steal? Like, if you have an idea that we love, can we play with it too? Sure, of like Take it. I want to do a bean sprout poem. Can I do a bean sprout You poem? do a bean sprout. I'll do a bean We both do one. All right. So we can compare notes. <laughs> and let's see. I know we have to leave kind of soon, but Jim, you look like you had, you just with a very authoritative putting down of your pen. Uh, we all hunger, yet food for the soul is often rarer than good roast beef, rare fat hamburgers, fresh ground flaming on beef tartare. And so our Wonder Woman dreams, where will we be without her? As Wonder Wonder Womb, and then she rose with that hero's light up our life. Feed our souls with grand, grand, redemptive, bigger, superhero, superheroes. Feed our hungry thirst for righteous powers greater, greater than ourselves. Icons, and we create grand icons representative of our better self. Which is icons, iconic strength of God and demigods. She rose, he rose, long, long, mortal. Then uh, uh, millions of tribal, like between the tribals, past billions of uh, years of old stories of old tribes, something like that. My goodness, Jim! Wow, oh, that's a lot. That took us. That took us a long way from rare roast beef. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Had you been thinking of heroes and sheroes for a while? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, well, I the, the semantic things of the world. Yep. Like, yeah. like you said Wonder Woman, didn't you? Yeah, Wonder Woman. Yeah, like, I so wish I'd thought of that. That's a great one. We were all from the womb. I know I'm a man because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman. I know I'm a woman because I'm from the womb. And I'm a woman. We're all from the womb. Getting rid of that sexist stuff. Uh, okay, we're all just going to go leave and hide someplace and write a poem about Wonder Woman. And Wonder Moonbeams. Woman. That's a great one. Oh, Wonder Woman. Um, you have one. Okay, this has to be, actually, do you have one also? Okay, quickly, I'll shut up. Lesson one. The video box should, the video box showed three, but only named two. She doesn't have a name. What is this Iran? Starring beautiful woman? That's why I give money to now, said husband. Problem shelved. Mom suggested the little sequel. Call the police. Lesson two. I never make myself a salad, but for the family, always a three-course meal. By the time I see it myself, the spinach pie is completely devoured. You didn't save me even one piece? Stricken, they replied, but it was so good. <laughs> Lesson three. He's back, our first family dinner in a while. We share an amazing say. Our little one had left the eggs in the trunk, and we hadn't missed them for a day. We explained how we left them there to continue to rot to hurl during, during protests. He wasn't amused. We can't afford to waste money. Wordless, I retrieved the two dollars eggs cost and rendered them into a criminal confetti. <laughs> 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 Good 
Testing, testing, one, two, three. Uh, the blood red orange, my favorite. The seasonal juices burst in your mouth like a rare bittersweet explosion. Soft, upon peeling the soft yellow fleshy skin, it covers the softer aged orange. Late season pickings sour the sweet, and a tangy flavor bounces from the mouth rooftop and makes the face wince. So what if we bring in so something? So if you want to bring something in, that's fine. Can it be we're somebody else? We're also else's? going to take some, uh, <coughs> and, uh, that would be great, but we're also going to take, we'll be in a different room. Oh. It will be, Kim, we'll be in the, uh, it's now uh, school and student services. It's at the opposite end of the hall of yeah. the old Maryland department. Oh. And it's got, it itself has murals on the wall. Uh, they're, they're kind of interesting and they kind of graphic yeah. looking. And uh, there's also a wonderful photograph exhibit in the annex, which by special dispensation we can walk through. It will actually be closed to the public by the time we're here, but it's uh, related to uh, Black History Month, and it's supposedly a I mean, I am right, isn't that the thing? And it's supposedly a fabulous exhibit. Oh, wow. So we'll have we'll be bombarded with art. Mm-hmm. The photographs across the hall, and then the slave trade. Oh, right, the the slave trade images. Right, and there's a lot to cram into the time, but there's so much wonderful art at Pratt. And so it's very accessible to us by being here. So I hope to see some or all of you next time. And again, it will be... Uh, bring in a poem different. about a piece of art. No, you don't have to bring No, no, I know one that I want to bring in by, by uh, oh, yeah, Auden. I'll have, I'll have handouts also. Auden, uh, uh, Beaux-Arts. Who's yeah. in Beaux-Arts? Oh, that's great. 